Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Oh, Marilyn and I are just a year away or so of being married 50 years. And uh, I married her when she was three. No. <laughs> but uh, about 50 years and um, life is a wonderful thing, isn't it? If you keep going. There's many opportunities in life you can stop. But you've got to keep going, don't you? Huh? The call of God on your life and dreams and visions and growing and maturing and failing and winning. and <laughs> Life is a mixture, isn't it? You know, someone asked me once, if you could do it all over again, what would you do again? How would you do it differently? And when some people get asked that question, they say, no, I would do it all the same again. I wouldn't. I made too many mistakes to do it all that way again. The same principles and values I'd love to have, but I wouldn't do everything the same again. But I'm thankful because whatever brings you here today and brings me here today, it's our good and bads that get us to here. It's where we go from here that makes all the difference, isn't it? You know, we're all formed and shaped and changed and, and altered. So Ken was mentioning about all those years ago when Marin and I went down to a little town called Milford Haven in Wales. They call it England beyond Wales, if you're Welsh. Any Welsh people here? It's an area that's known as Pembrokeshire or Pembrokeshire. It's, uh, just a, it's as far as you can go. Next, if you jump off into the sea there and swim, you get to New York City, just about. There's not, nothing much in between. And uh, we were in a, a very unusual stage of life, to say the least. We arrived in England from Australia. We'd gone through a, a fairly traumatic kind of church experience, which I won't go into details of too much, but we'd ended up really wondering how we even saved, that anything else is the call of God still on our life. Uh, in this organization that had gone into somewhat into a deception, we'd been excommunicated along with others. It was, it was just a very uh, uh, weird time and a leader had put a kind of curse over our life, not meaning to, I don't think, but put a kind of curse over our life and said, if you guys go to England, Nothing but failure will follow you the rest of your life. And so we arrived there at Heathrow Airport with a couple of suitcases, a couple of kids, a team, and a couple of hundred dollars, and uh, thinking, God, what do we do? And uh, here we are today. That other work has gone into oblivion, and uh, yet somehow through it all, God rescued us through faithful people who wrapped their arms around us. One man's a world leader today. If I mentioned his name, you'd know. He received a letter along with other leaders later saying, if they have anything to do with Tony Fitzgerald, you can have nothing to do with us again. So severe was that excommunication time. But this man examined us, took us in, and eventually wrapped his arms around me and held me, and that's why I'm a hugger. <laughs> I've seen more people healed through a hug than a sermon. Amen or oh me? You know, sometimes we just need to know somebody's there for us. Somebody believes in us. Somebody cares, you know. 
And um, he hugged me. I said, did you get your letter? He said, no, I didn't get a letter. So I said, well, you will. When you get back home to your office, there'll be one there, I'm sure. And there was. And that man wrote back to the person who had, uh, we had gone through the difficult time with and said, we've been with Tony and our leaders have. And I knew him a little bit before. But he said, um, we examined him and examined his heart. And, and we just want to say this, that we're going to wrap our arms around him and give him a safe place to live. If that means you want nothing else to do with us, then so be it. But we're going to stand with him. And it was the first time I ever had someone stand with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like someone who says, yeah, loving you and believing in you is more important to me than even what ministry could be. Because kingdom and church never gets any bigger than people. If it does, you've missed it. I remember working with a, in a house with a, a drug rehabilitation work that we eventually got to in, when we arrived in England. And the man there was a, got a ministry that went out to the nations, really, in the end. And, and uh, one of the drug addicts in his rehabilitation house came to him one day and looked at him and said, called him by name, his name was Vic. He said, Vic, you're getting very big now. And Vic you know, didn't say anything. He wasn't a proud man, but his ministry was growing wide. Then this ex-drug addict or recovering drug addict looked at him and just said this, Vic, if you get too big for people like me, you've got too big. It's a good thing for leadership, isn't it? If we get too big for people, if we're more impressed by our own ministry, we can become a legend in our own minds, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but the reality is, it's nothing bigger than what's happening today. All the songs we were singing about God becoming a father and our life in him and our security and all of that. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. The older I get and the longer I walk, the simpler Christianity becomes for me. Early days, it was quite complicated, really. Rules, regulations, this, that, you know. But the further you live, the further you realize it's growing from being a child to being a son, to help others through fatherhood, to love father with all your heart, grow into his family and see his family cover the whole earth. I used to think in early years I was here to change the world. Now I realize I'm not. I'm only here to do what God wants me to do, and if we all do that, the world will change. But the responsibility for changing the world is not resting on my shoulders. It hung on shoulders on a cross many years ago. And because of that, I've only got to play my part. You play your part, we all play our part, and Cape Town moves, doesn't it? Shifts and changes. And that's a wonderful thing. I might even preach this morning, I see. No, joking. But I was thinking early this morning, got up early this morning, was just thinking about, you know, just sharing heart with you today. Uh, I always get welcomed in these places, either a great, 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 great grandfather. Or <laughs> and even in my own family, I'm only, a great, I'm only a grandfather at the moment. But when your oldest grandchildren become 20 years old and things, you realize you, you are getting older. Someone said to me once, you really don't look 80. I said, that's good because I'm not. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but 
That's, you thought I might have been there for a moment, didn't you? I nearly had. <laughs> but I was just thinking about, you know, this wonderful thing of family and fatherhood and journeying and why, why do we bother coming to church? You know, why are we here today? Getting up early, could be laying in bed, having a nice rest, here in the rain, just fall on the roof or something, while your husband or wife is cooking your pancakes and bringing you a lovely meal. No, you know what it's like. <laughs> Trouble is, it happened for you at five o'clock this morning. It was too early. <laughs> no, but why do we come? Well, to love God. But above all of that, we come together because God's making us family, isn't he? And we want to be with family, and families come together to be together. I, 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 wouldn't, I couldn't get up in the mornings just to go to sing a couple of songs, hear a sermon or something. It would bore me now. I thank God for all of that. But I want to gather because the Bible says, you know, don't hold back from gathering together. Why? Because we're family. And there's a family meal. Sometimes we call it the communion table or whatever. We break bread or we have lunch. But it's family. We come together, not so much just because we want an it or something. We come together because God's put us together. And it's good to dwell together, isn't it? It's good to come and see the rallies, as we say, or the relatives, whatever you call them here. But I want to read the scripture just out of Galatians chapter 4 and uh, seven verses there and just share a little bit just from my heart with you today and then just agree with you. I have the wonderful joy today of preaching here in Cape Town this morning and in Jeffrey's Bay tonight and then I'll be in Carmel tomorrow. So it's a enjoyable 24 hours seeing a little bit of South Africa. But wherever you are and you're in a part of our cotton family, it's just nice to see other parts of it and dwell with it and live with it. But this scripture is a very meaningful scripture because when you talk about fathers and sons and growing and becoming all God wants us to be, and this is a very important scripture to hold in your heart. It was written, I know, in context of the Jewish nation, really, but it's context of believers as we've become um, God's people now. And this is what it says. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave. I want you to think about that. An heir, an heir of an estate of a great inheritance of wealth. As long as he remains a child, he really doesn't differ from a slave. Though really, he's the master of all. But he's under guard, guardians and stewards until that appointed time by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might have received the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Here's my question for you today. As a believer, do you live as a slave or a son? And the difference the Bible indicates to us, to tell us, is whether we grow up or not. 
Because if we remain as a child, we might as well just be a slave. Because we've got to live under rules and regulations and orders and this just to be kept going, really. But the day comes when we move from childhood, and the Bible talks about it in many ways. When I was a child, I did this, but then I became a man, I put away childish things. It's, it's in all kinds of passages through the Bible, this whole progression of moving from somewhere to somewhere. And a foundation message in Church of the Nations that we brought in many, many years ago, and a lot of Church of the Nations is built on, is that scripture in Isaiah, where... Isaiah prophesying about Jesus said, Unto us a child would be born, unto us a son would be given, and he would become an everlasting father. So the prophecy was that even Jesus would grow from being a child to being a son. When he was a child, he wasn't a slave, but he was no different in one sense. He didn't walk around the earth doing miracles. He grew up in his in his dad's carpentry business or house building business, whatever it was. He grew and understood things. The Bible says he grew up in all ways. He, he, grew, from, he, he grew in stature, he grew physically, he grew in wisdom, so he grew educationally because wisdom is the foundation of education, not knowledge. Anyone can get knowledge, but ed, when you're educated, you know what to do with knowledge. Amen. I wish our school systems could get hold of that message that we had to pass exams with wisdom and not just knowledge. But anyhow, that's another story. But uh, Jesus had to, you know, travel through. said he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God, so he grew spiritually in his naturalness of manhood, and he grew socially. He said he grew in favor with man. He grew up to be a complete human being. But in that he was growing, he was getting up in the morning, going to work, doing this, doing what he was doing, sitting with his mum and dad at night or whatever he might have been about. He was just growing up and maturing. But a day came in his life, we remember it as the day that he got baptised, but he was already just around 30 years old by then. Now in, other, in his Jewish custom he would have entered into sonship and that earlier at 12, 13 years old. But in the fullness of his walk with his heavenly father, at around 30 he's in the waters of baptism. His hairy second cousin's in the water with him. <laughs> he was John the Baptist. <laughs> so his second cousin was in there with him after a feed of locusts and other stuff. And He's preaching out and Jesus arrives there and says, come on, cousin, you need to baptize me. And he says, come on, cousin, I, you should be baptizing me. He said, no, you baptize me so the whole of righteousness can be fulfilled. And they have a little family discussion there. <laughs> and then he went and under the water he went. And when he came out, a wonderful moment happened. Heavens opened and he heard something. He heard this word. This is my beloved son. Now no longer a child, no longer a slave to things, a son. The full expression of his father. Fully released into his gift, his anointing and everything around him. The full inheritance of everything that had flowed from heaven in and through him and for him was now available to him. 
And from that moment on, he went all around, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. You know the story. Well, the first place God took him after that was fascinating, really, because the first place God took him was actually into temptation, into the wilderness. You know, it's like sometimes when you have a great moment in God and the next moment you're right in the wilderness, you think, what went wrong there? You know, well, that's what happened to Jesus too. Why didn't I end up on the glory mountain? Why did I end up in the wilderness after such a moment? But Jesus had that moment, then went straight into the wilderness. But you know, it's a wonderful thing in his trip through the wilderness. The Bible in Luke's gospel, it says it this way. Luke records it great. Luke says, Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And then it says a little bit later, he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. I think that's a tremendous way that Luke saw it, because Luke is a physician, but he saw he went in and he came out different. He went in, in, the, in with temptation facing him and all that kind of thing. And you know the story, I'm not talking about that today. But he came out in the power of it. And the world's never been the same since. This one solitary life that lived in the son of a carpenter and was raised in, as a child under the bondages and laws and everything, stepped into sonship. And we started to count the years all over again. Talk about the impact of one solitary life, as the, used to say the poem. Can you imagine that amount of impact that we started counting the years all over again? And even atheists say the year they were born was a certain year that relates to the very king of all creation, Jesus himself. It's incredible, isn't it? When you think. So even Jesus went on the journey. But it says, if we remain as a child, then we do not differ from a slave. But when we come into sonship, something within us begins to cry out, Abba, Father. You see, it was the most incredible time for the disciples when they traveled through with Jesus. Incredible, really. Because as they traveled their life with Jesus, they did many things, you know all the story. But it wasn't after his death and his resurrection that it really started to happen. But he, they were in a little house there, and after he'd come back from the dead, and he goes in this little house and he breathes on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And for the first time in their life, I won't enlarge on that whole story today, but for the first time in their life, something cried out within them, Abba Father. And they were home. See, if you understand that, you'll understand what Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. If you don't get what I'm saying to you, you think that place was heaven. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking against heaven here. But the place wasn't that. The place he was talking about in that moment was he said, go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Where was he that they were not? A son in the father's heart. And in a moment, the only begotten son became the firstborn of many. And we had the wonderful joy of life of stepping from being a child to being a son. Not having to live just under rules, regulations, bondages, chains, slavery. But to step into the full inheritance of sonship. But if we choose, 
to remain as a child, then we're no different to a slave. Because heirship is to do with sonship. And that's why we talk so much about spiritual fathers and sons, raising sons to be heirs of the Father, not to be everlasting sons to us, but to help people to grow to be sons to him. And to walk in the fullness, whether male or female. If you haven't heard us speak on sonship, we love female sons. <laughs> we say to the women, you can be a son of God if we can be a part of the bride of Christ. That's the deal. <laughs> this is not a gender thing. This is not a gender issue. Something much bigger and better than that. And so, you know, he prepared this place for us. So there's these two incredible steps. And I'm only going to just share with it for a little while with you today. But that scripture I wanted to read. But there's another wonderful scripture in Psalms 45, 16. And when you read it in the Message Bible, it says this. Set your mind now on sons. Don't dote on fathers and grandfather or great-grandfathers or great-great-great-great-grandfathers. You'll set your sons up as princes all over the earth and I'll make you famous for generations. You'll be the talk of the town for a long, long time. I love that scripture. What does it say about us in, as us older people and everyone as you grow through? What's our fame going to be as we wind out our lives in the next 40 or 50, 60 years, however long God gives us. But what's our fame going to be? It's not going to be, well, Church of the Nations is in 50 nations and Tony did this, or we've got 100 people coming to our church, or we've got 24 cell groups or something. You know what our fame's going to be? Us establishing sons all over the earth. What a wonderful thing. And he said, that will make you famous. They'll talk about you for a long, long time. What? Because of what you did? No, because of the sons you released. Isn't that a wonderful thing for Christianity? The fames are not what we accomplish, but who we send. I often say working with apostolic leaders, your apostolic legacy is not on so much of what you've built, your legacy is on who you've sent. That's a wonderful thing. But church often, you know, it locks people in with rules and regulations and slays them and builds them in. And sometimes church, instead of becoming the free place, not here, of course, we, we understand this message I'm bringing. But many places, instead of becoming a free place, it becomes a prison. One man who uh, was the father of the house church movement really around the world in these last few decades at least, wrote some wonderful books like The Divine Romance and The Tale of Three Kings and other books like that. He made a statement one time. He said, many people go out to plant a church, build themselves a church, and end up building themselves a prison. Very profound. Because if we're not people who live in our sonship and free and release a generation to do likewise, then in the end, the world never will shift, will never change. Because the future and legacy and everything about this is, uh, I'll make you famous for generations. You'll be the talk of the town for a long, long time because you've got your focus not on just being a father or fatherhood or whatever, but the releasing that generation of sons. 
You see, there's the two steps really that help bring you into that point. One is the one I mentioned. You come into, um, into walk, like Jesus, for him to come into that walk, he walked into obedience to what his father wanted for him and then he began to pour his life into sons himself. He is our model and that model we must trust and follow. So we continue in the place prepared for us. I want to say if you want to be free into all that God's got for your life and for your family and for those around you, the number one is, and I'm so glad the songs we sang this morning because it confirmed for me uh, to share on this this morning, but the number one of the two things is really this. You've got to remain dwelling in the place prepared for you. And that place prepared for you is a father's heart and to dwell in that. You see, if you go to bed at night, your security is not living in fear. Is God going to punish you? Is this God out there just waiting to discipline you or do something to you? He may need to correct you and bishop you and shepherd you. That's why you have people in your life and God in your life. But your acceptance is not dependent on how well you did today. It's dependent on whose you are. And your sonship with him is where your security rests. So to be able to go to bed at night and say, good night, Dad. <laughs> and you might say, well, son, one or two things I'd like to chat over with you first. <laughs> but none of that defines your acceptance. Because he can correct you or change you or walk with you because of his love. See, everything in God is an act of his love. God doesn't change you so he can love you. He just loves you too much to leave you like you are. Amen. Amen. He doesn't change you so he can love you. Why were we yet sinners? He died for us and loved us. Why were we totally lost, rebellion? He loved us. That's not the question. The question, he loves us too much to leave us living like slaves and in bondage and all kinds of things when he knows we can live in the fullness of sonship and be a full heir of everything that he is. So the first point I was just going to say to you this morning was just simply this. Continue in the place he's prepared for you. Jesus prepared the place and we are either living from that place or spending time trying to get there. There's only really two types of Christians on the earth. Well, there's lots of kinds, but uh, there's us charismaniacs and then there's others and different ones. But there's different groupings, but there's two major kinds of Christians on the earth. It's those trying to get the blessing and those who are living from the blessing. One of them you'll live like a child and one you'll live like a son. See, when I'm going through a bit of a difficult time and I have them from time to time, and God always seems to take me back in my thinking back to the beginning. You know what the beginning was? In the beginning, God created me or created us, right? Created Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God created. But he says this, when God created them, it says this, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He never said, be fruitful and multiply, and I'll bless you. See, many Christians live believing if they just get a bit more fruitful, if they just do a bit more, if somehow they can just 
somehow make a little bit more happen. If we can just plant another church or if we can just get to another nation, that doesn't drive us in Church of the Nations. That's the fruit of it. Amen. If that was driving us, we'd all be dead now. We've only helped a few more poor people. If only I got out. Look, understand what I mean. I love the poor. We rescue people around the world. We've adopted special needs children into our, as grandchildren, all kinds of things. But I want to tell you this. I don't live here on earth to work for the need. If I was driven by the need, it would kill me. Jesus didn't, wasn't driven by the need. He didn't say... Whatever I see the need needing, I do. He said, whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Because the need will kill you, but the Father will lead you in his love and compassion and give you fruitfulness. You or I can't meet every need around this incredible nation, this incredible city, and this incredible area. But we can do that which God wants us to do, and if we all do that, the need will get met. But no one can carry the weight. No church can carry the weight. No people can carry the weight of everything. Because often that's coming out of a striving and a driving in our heart. I've just got to do more, then God will be more pleased with me. That's the way slaves and things think. Well, if I just do a bit more for my master, maybe you know, he will just like me a little bit more or something or, 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 or whatever. That is not the way sons live. Amen? Shouldn't be, at least. So there's the people who work from it. So I go back to the beginning, like I said, when God created, he said he blessed them. He said, and then be fruitful and multiply. You see, once you have the blessing, you can do great things. But doing great things will not earn you the blessing. Now, the knock-on effect is sowing and reaping works once you have the blessing and you work from it. But I won't go down that path too far today. But just to say this, God blesses you before he requires anything from you. Otherwise, it's not grace. If you have to do anything to earn it, amen, he blesses you before he requires anything of you. You say, if only I, if I repented, God could forgive me. Hear, hear this really careful. God forgave you way before you could repent. Repentance doesn't get God to forgive you. It only allows you to live in what he's already done. Amen. See, in our human life, we say things like this. If that person would just say they're sorry, I'd forgive them. Or if they would just repent to me, I would forgive them. No. The godly position is I forgive immaterial. Just, you forgive. My man who wrote a book from a mission organization one time said this, it became a motto of my life. I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. See, unforgiveness in a heart towards someone else doesn't really affect them that much it just keeps you in prison forgiveness sets you free from debtors prison the Bible says 
That's a wonderful thing. You must live free. God's dealing with them. That's fine. You're not their conviction or their conscience. You've got to be just free yourself. And so you live from the blessing, not trying to get the blessing. Amen. And then what happens then is another very interesting thing. And that's why many Christians find themselves in transition today. Moving, maybe job situation, sometimes geographical location. Sometimes for Marin and I, we've lived on three different continents and taken our family in different things. And I've often thought about that. Why, how, and how all that kind of stuff works. But this is something I've learned as well, deep in my heart. Is that sometimes we're in the right place to become pregnant but we're in the wrong place for delivery. See, Mary in Nazareth was in the exact right place to become pregnant with Jesus. The angels turned up, everything happened. But she had to get to Bethlehem to give birth to him. And to get to Bethlehem to give birth to him, I mean, it was a huge thing. It was a taxation thing. It was a, a, a census thing. It was having to move. I mean, it wasn't just a word, go to Bethlehem. God created all kinds of circumstances or fitted her into all kinds of circumstances to get her from the place where she became pregnant to the place where the bread of heaven had to be born out of the house of bread, Bethlehem. And I've learned over the years this many Christians become pregnant with vision and become pregnant with desires in God. And they're in the right place where that happens. You know, the, in that prayer room, that think tank, whatever, wherever it might be, and they hear the prophetic word or something. But they're never willing to, to move to the place where delivery needs to take place. And I've, I know for Marilyn and I, if we had... We got pregnant with a vision in a sense and a word and then all that thing that happened in, in that thing I was talking to you about at the beginning. But if we hadn't have one day got on that plane and ended up in England, went through what we did, I don't believe Church of the Nations would be here today. Now we had the vision in Australia. But it needed to be born somewhere else. Had to be birthed somewhere else. Now, I'm not talking that. Most people aren't going to have that extreme to what I'm talking about, geographical changes like that. That was the apostolic call on our life and that kind of area. But I want to encourage you, don't get so locked in and so narrow in situations that you end up so pregnant with something but you never get to the place of delivery. And sometimes we've just got to be open for where God wants to where he wants to do it with us. How? Sometimes it's a job location change. Sometimes we feel, well, I'm in the midst of transition and I, I don't know quite how to handle the change that's all around me. Sometimes it's not bad to take a little step back and say, God, are you just transitioning me for birth? Sometimes what may look like a little negative in our life sometimes can turn out to be the greatest positive we've got. God knows what he's doing with us. And sometimes to get to that place of delivery like, like Mary becomes very important. We had a phrase early when we used to teach this in Church of the Nations that transition leads 
Transition leads to new position for new provision. Transition for a believer should not be a negativity, a negative thing. If it's in God and we've grown to be sons in the house, but if we're children and we don't grow up, then it's irrelevant what I'm talking to you about. Because children need to be where there's just the boundaries, the laws, the rules, the regulations. We might as well just be slaves. But God wants us to grow up into a full inheritance. Sometimes a visa not coming through and a move back to Zim. <laughs> Maybe because you was pregnant with something, but another place was where the birth had to happen. Amen. If we don't understand, it's a sonship. Then we measure everything like children measure it. Oh, God might not love me anymore. This is happening in my life. This is happening. This is what's going on. Let the freedom of God touch our hearts. I just want to encourage you today. Don't remain as slaves when you can live as a son. And when you live as a son, with spiritual fathers and mothers around your life, walking things with you, living life in a heavenly father, allow him to do everything he just needs to do to get you to that place, to give full birth to all that he's got in your heart and life for you. It's relationships, it's life. God joins us together, puts us in alignment, these kinds of things, so the fullness of birth that he has for our life. So I don't know what it's like in South Africa, but I live in a nation in America where more believers are interested in going up than growing up. <laughs> Amen? They're more interested in going up than growing up. Kids always like to go up. <laughs> But sons, when Jesus prayed as a son and then a father for his sons, he prayed and he said, Father, I do not ask that you'll take them out of the world. I've grown them up. I want them to be here to change it. See, when we're kids, we want to escape trouble. When you're sons, you want to change it. Amen. So my heart to you, and as you walk with those in your lives from the various churches and you father others, number one is just simply this. Take your congregations, and I know I'm talking to one today, but there's other leaders here as well from others. Take your congregations from being children to being sons. Build church as family with mums and dads and where people grow on the journey not as a meeting that people come to to attend. We live in a world where loneliness is crippling the world. And sadly, there'll be many lonely people going to church buildings today, even around the city like this, walk in lonely and go home lonely. And somehow believe they're appeasing God because they did the religious duty of going to church. That's kid stuff. That's what kids do. Oh, I might do something to try to please my dad. 
Sons don't have to do that. They live with a heart position of servanthood and family and life. And want to be with the family. We need a revolution in our nations, but we need one in Christendom desperately. We need God to raise up a wineskin and all that goes with that that really does change the world in which we live. Oh, we're going to gather and be together and break bread together, feast together, worship together, all of that. But we're going to come together as family, not just as church members. You know how many people say, people say it to me all the time, and I say it, I guess sometimes I try not to. But I got up this morning and went to church. Well, who were you before you came? Right? If you came to church this morning, then obviously you wasn't the church, or you couldn't come to yourself. So who were you before you came this morning? Because that will give you an idea of who you might be when you go home this afternoon. <laughs> because if all you came was someone that wasn't, you go home as nobody, and in here you thought you might become somebody, it's not going to happen. The wonderful thing this morning is around this area of the church got up and came here to celebrate and to be family together. And when we leave here, the church will go out there. Because really today, God's far more interested in where the church goes than who goes to church, really. This is wonderful. But if this is all there was, dear God, we'd all be bored, wouldn't we? It's what this does in our hearts and releases for us as family goes and changes the world. So here's my exhortation to you today. Don't remain as a slave under all the bondages when really now you're born again to be a son and live as a full heir of everything God wants. Therefore, you never have to spend the rest of your life seeking the blessing. You can just spend your life in Father's arms, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will chase you. Because blessings overtake you when you're seeking first him. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together before we send the church home. <laughs> or out or whatever. <laughs> Father, we thank you for all your love and goodness and kindness to us. We thank you for family, the various families represented here. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good God. And Father, we just say afresh today that we do not want to remain as slaves. We can look at all the stories in the Bible, Father. The prodigal son and his brother, his brother and others didn't really know what sonship was in the house. That brother that lived like a slave when he could have been an heir. When he was an heir but didn't know. Father, help us not to live in less than your best for us. And Father, I speak a word into lives here today. Put away childish things. Grow up. Come into the fullness of what Christ wants for you. 
Do not limit his blessing upon your life because of childish likeness. Come into the fullness of sonship and live in your inheritance. It's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your finances. It's going to affect your workplace. And if you feel you're pregnant with things in the spirit, then let God join you with the people that are going to be in the house where you are. If it's a change of job or something, a little bit just to position you somewhere to give birth to everything, don't see that as a negative. See it as something of God working in your heart to bring out into your life the fullness of that which he has for you. Because your life is away in a father's love today. And because he loves you so much, you live blessed in him today. Amen. Because Jesus, the only begotten son of God, died to prepare a place for us that where he was, we could be also. He then moved to being the firstborn of many. And now we have become joint heirs with him into all that the Father has for us. Don't live in less. Don't let the devil steal from you who God's really made you to be and placed you to be. Don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to work out other people's dreams for you. God's made you and he's uniquely made you, specially made you. Father, I pray a Father's blessing over each life today. I bless them in Jesus' name. I speak that blessing into the deepest part of their lives today. Bring them out of any bondage and slavery and Bring them in to the freedom of sonship. Father, position them for some that may just be here today and wondering, Father, position them with spiritual fathers, align them with spiritual fathers so they can give birth to even that which they're pregnant with. Not so someone can control their life or just put them under slavery or something, but can stand with them and believe in them and wrap their arms around them and say, I believe in you. Let me help you walk into that which God's got for your life. The world's crying out, the Bible says, for one thing. It says the whole earth is groaning for one thing. It doesn't say it's groaning for the manifestation of church members. It says it's groaning for the manifestation of the sons of the kingdom, of people that aren't slaves in bondage but living as heirs in Christ, rightly related, rightly aligned, accountability, all those things in their lives to be sown out of seeds for a great harvest that transforms culture and brings the world to a king. You say, Tony, you don't know my background. You don't know where I came from. No, it's true, but I know your foreground. I know where you're going. And really, yesterday is immaterial in many ways. It may affect us, I understand that. But Jesus 
has broken the curses, broken the chains. Even things have been generationally passed on to you. You can be the beginning of a new lot of generations. You say, well, the traditions, the cultures. I understand all of that. But there's a kingdom culture and kingdom traditions that are far bigger than anything else that's ever affected or influenced your life. I had enough in those few years, like I said, before arriving in England, where I could have said, that's enough. I, I really don't want to go on with this particularly anymore. But you've got to make a choice. I'm not a kid. I'm not going to be a slave. I'm not going to be a bondage to other people's words. Or I can live in what God wants me to live. Eventually, he gets you through to there. And if the thing that lifts you through to there is someone just putting their arms around you and saying, come on, I believe in you. Rise up and go again. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Let's have an agreement in the house today that we will live as sons. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. I will live as a son. A male son or a female son, but I will live as a son. <laughs> Amen. Say it again. I will live as a son. I will love my dad because I am secure in his love for me. Say it again. I am secure in his love for me. And my future is not just dependent on my good works. It's dependent on the fact that he has blessed me. And I live from the blessing. Not looking for the blessing. Because living from it, blessings continue to overtake me. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.